overlooked pop culture. You are listening to The Next Report. Hey everyone, this is Stephen Kelly. I'm sending this via the internet to Thomas. And this is a little remote review of uh, something for the Next Report podcast. Sorry I wasn't able to be there today. I had some stuff going on with work all week. And uh, when the recording goes down, I just really won't have time. Uh, but yeah, well, I wanted to let you guys know about something I, w- I did last week. Um, I live relatively close to Kansas City. And they actually had a uh, large comic book convention downtown at a big convention center that was pretty awesome and did that last weekend and basically this was kind of crazy because they had a big 12 basketball college basketball this comic book convention a marathon and some kind of a uh, symphony performance all at the same time so downtown was insane like it seemed like the entire state of Iowa was in downtown Kansas City supporting the basketball, which meant parking was in, completely ridiculous. It doesn't help that uh, apparently someone sent me a message. I put a review up on my website, and someone actually sent me a message explaining that supposedly this uh, the comic book convention was called Planet Comic Con, actually had the uh, the largest one day admission or some such to Bartle Hall that they've ever had and that's everything like car shows and trade conventions and all sorts of stuff and it showed because uh, you know the first day this was a three day thing the first day was actually pretty mellow but then they had uh, it was uh, the second day we came in and you know it took us forever to park we ended up having to park in the arts district which is a couple blocks away we got over there, and uh, there was a line going around this building, and it's a gigantic building. So it took us a while to get in there. Um, I guess, you know, me eyeballing it, which, you know, that's nothing. But I would almost estimate that they had probably 20,000-plus people there, if not, you know, with walk-ups and people that did multiple um, days and everything. I'd be surprised to see exactly how many people were actually there because it it seemed like quite a few you know for years i've been going to uh anime conventions uh, mostly we would do them down in dallas texas um only recently we you know when gas got ridiculous we started going to ones in kansas city and they were quite a bit smaller i mean even the the biggest anime convention i did down in dallas was probably ten thousand people um, and that was a year that they had a, a really popular band there from Japan. So this convention was just in wall-to-wall insanity in comparison. But surprisingly, not as... Even though it had way more people, people were better behaved. And that's one thing I'll, I'll tip my hat to the convention goers. Because I'm used to, unfortunately, with anime conventions, uh, people are not in their best behavior. It's a bunch of unsupervised teenagers, generally. And... Uh, people just running around doing crazy stuff. We went to a an Acon, which is the one in Dallas, one time where someone pulled the fire alarm. We uh, I've seen people getting fist fights. You know, just ridiculous crap that you know. Me being a grown ass man, I'm 31. I just kind of look at that stuff and I'm like, really, really, guys, that's that's what you're gonna do at the convention, huh? So everyone here seemed to be on their best behavior. I mean, I bet there was some stupid crap, but I didn't witness it. And uh, 
one thing that was cool is I had two goals when I went to this convention, one of which was to meet um, Sylvester McCoy, who is known for being playing the Doctor in Doctor Who in the 1980s. He's also Radagast the Brown in the Hobbit movies, if you saw that. He's the, the, the wizard that has the birds that live in his hat and stuff. Um, and then my other goal was to meet Jerry Duggan, who is a comic book writer who currently writes Deadpool. And luckily I got to do both of those. Um, Jerry was uh, in the artist's alley, basically, and he got I got my uh, bought a hardcover copy of the current Deadpool comic. Got him to sign it, and Tony Moore, who did the art, was actually sitting next to him. So, even though I'm not like I'm not a giant Walking Dead guy, so I know that's blasphemy to some people, but so I don't, you know, I'm not hung up on Jerry Moore or uh, sorry Tony Moore's art, but he, I definitely got him to sign it. And then uh, Jerry Duggan, I got you know him to write it on there, and we talked about D and D for a while because he himself uh does a podcast for Dungeons and Dragons that I really enjoy. Um but yeah, that was awesome. Um meeting Sylvester McCoy was pretty cool because he was um went went over there on Friday and got his signature and took a candid picture. You can uh, check that out on my website, an American view of British science fiction. Um if you want to see that, but he he was really cool. He, uh, you know, I shook his hand and uh, I was starstruck, so I really couldn't come up with anything good to say other than, you know, oh, thank you for being here or something. I didn't remember. But it was, uh, you know, you always in your mind are like, oh, I'm going to be cool. This guy's going to be like, hey, I remember that dude. And then you do that. And it's just like, Pfft. but we did get to see a panel with him later on in the week where basically he for me, stole the convention with his panel because he was running around. You know, he's... I don't know exactly how old he is, but he's got to be in his 60s or really close. I mean, he was he was not super young when he was uh, played the, the main character in Doctor Who. But he was running around, and he played the spoons at one point, and instead of just having people line up and sit at a desk and answer questions, he got up and was hugging people and high-fiving and all kinds of other stuff. It was just, it was pretty awesome. I mean, you just don't really see that at these kind of things. Um, our other main thing we did was, uh, they had other panels cause I'm, I'm a big panel guy. Um, I like to go and do actual like entertainment stuff at the conventions rather than, you know, I, I've cosplayed before, but I don't do it too often and I'm not interested in just going around buying stuff, but he, uh, they had a, uh, like almost everyone from Star Trek the Next Generation was there at the convention and I didn't have the money to get everybody's autograph from that cuz they were from some company they were charging not like a super amount of money but it was like $40 to get an autograph or if you had the bank you could go and get you know a couple of them or the whole cast for like a larger amount of money I just didn't really have that but they did have panels all weekend so we got to see, you know, LeVar Burton and Brent Spiner and all those guys in in a panel. And that was really awesome. Um but other than that, it was a great convention. I'm hoping, you know, this, this for how big this was and for how, you know, popular comic book culture and stuff is getting. You have a lot of casual fans going and people that probably didn't know what they were, you know, they may not be fans of everything, but it seemed like they had a pretty diverse crowd, and I, it's awesome. I hope this one takes off and 
maybe you know a few years down the road we'll have you know a convention that rivals some of the bigger conventions like WonderCon and stuff like that in Kansas City cuz here in Missouri a lot of people think St. Louis is the bigger of the two cities and a lot of stuff goes there and it, it really isn't Kansas City is much larger it has more people, and it deserves to have a lot of these things going to it. Now, that's no slide on St. Louis by any means, but I, you know, a lot of people have a tendency to pretend like it's the only city in Missouri, and it's, it's dumb. So, big props to Kansas City for getting this, and hopefully they made a lot of money. I know some of the you know vendors got had to have ma- made bank, um, and I hope to go next year, but. Um, I have some more stuff about it on, on my site. Feel free to check that out. And I don't want to ramble on much more. I'm going to um, send this back to Thomas. And we'll uh, hopefully get on the podcast here in a couple weeks. My schedule, you know, as, as you know, I work nights. And my schedule is the exact opposite of everyone else's. So it's kind of str- like hard for us to, to get together. And... So, but it's good to have this way where I can just record a little thing and be still be part of everything. But hope everyone has a wonderful day and enjoys the upcoming spring weather and have have a good one. Bye. And welcome to episode 48 of the Next Report, where we cover Unix and overlook pop culture. Um, as you could already tell, um, uh, Stephen Kelly couldn't be with us because of the work schedules that we all have kind of diverging a little bit but um uh i'm start off with i'm thomas and i'm stephen thomas our the other Stephen, the other white meat <laughs> you put it that way i guess uh, so much wrongness to that one but that's all right um for those of you who you know listened to the part about the conventions that he's gone to uh there are some upcoming conventions for those who are, you know, in Missouri and Kansas. Um, um, Cosplicon, that's in Jefferson City. That's uh, coming up in, you know, 12th through the 15th of June. There's also, later in June, it's going to be um, Anime Fest Wichita 10. That's June 27th through the 29th. And I, I, I've been to AFW once, and it was a... It was a pretty successful thing um uh one of the i met an individual named uh peter pixie and he's he does a nice little show of his own so it, it was pretty fun um, have you ever been to any conventions uh no i have not um i've i've been thinking about going the last couple of years i've been thinking about saving up some money and going to one um and uh i have a co-worker as we we both work in retail i have a Co-worker who recently just went to a convention that was taking place around the same time as this uh, um, other convention we were mentioning, and uh, he had loads of fun. He he told me all kinds of the things that he did, uh, the meat pillow that he saw, and uh, some of the other things that he did, and uh, it sounded very interesting and sounds like something that I would definitely enjoy. So. It might be something I will do in the future, or maybe the near future, I don't know. But uh, I'll have to definitely get some vacation time for it. Um, if you go to NakaCon, always look out for the person that's dressed up as Pedo Bear. Yes, <laughs> Pedo Bear does make an appearance. It's, I've seen it a couple times. So, 
um, interesting antics that they they pull for, for costumes and everything else. But um, you know, figured doing a little bit of overlooked pop culture first, kind of you know let people know it's kind of convention season to a point. Because with the weather getting a little bit better and everything else, because you don't see that many conventions in like January or February that I know of, at least not around the not around the tri-state area. <laughs> well, know. around that time, that's when all the the weather decides to screw everybody over. Oh, this weather has been very very strange. That's what we get from being between a cold and warm front constantly. So, uh, right in the middle of Tornado Alley. So, um, anyway, uh, moving on right along, um, among a lot of other things that you see at conventions is sometimes like you see old school stuff. Um, some people, you know, try to put together R two D two robots and things like that. <laughs> it kind of brings back some memories. But uh, and speaking of those type of memories, where we kind of reminisce. You came across a couple of things several weeks ago. Um, real nice and cheap, but piece of uh, computer history that was uh, very, very interesting. Uh, what happened, and where did you find the stuff? Well, it was a it was a day that uh, my uh, fiance's mother came up, and she spent the day. And, uh, we went out. We went uh, went to go out to eat, and uh, we just. Went out shopping practically all day before I went to work, and uh, we were making our stops. And we went to the Salvation Army because you usually go there for uh, just things here and there, mostly clothing. And uh, I usually go over. There's a section where they have the DVDs, movies, CDs, and occasionally they have some old computer software. And a few times I've found some old games that I didn't find all that interesting because I mostly have a large enough game library on Steam to keep me busy. <laughs> so, but anyway, this time I saw, not only did I see a copy of Red Hat Linux, not Red Hat Enterprise Linux, Red Hat Linux from 1998, 5.2, and a unopened 100 megabyte zip disk. Oh, the, the, I remember back, back in the day, I went to... Uh, well, then it was called Central Missouri State University, and all the computers had zip drives in them. Um, IOmega seemed to have kind of hit the jackpot with this, you know, type of disk. It's like thicker. It was thicker than floppy disks, but their capacity was much, much higher. I think there was like two fifty megabyte disks, and even higher than that, like just under a gigabyte. Either that, I think they had the 500 meg, and then there was like a, I think a 960 or something similar to that, like you were saying. I'm not sure. I'd have to look it up again, but I, I, definitely interesting. Because, um, and as for Red Hat, I remember I, I did job shadowing in high school, and I think it was around that time, actually, 1998, where I, or... 99, 2000, somewhere around that time. It was, no, it was two, some, it was in the 2000s. It was my junior year in high school, memory serves, sophomore, junior year, somewhere around that range. I figured, oh, I'll be a webmaster 
or maybe see what it's like to be one. And I job shadowed all day on the campus, and I was brought into one room. This is this building was right where you would um, um, right where you would you know you know where you'd find Planet Sub now. It was next door to Planet Sub. That building's no longer there, and the uh, room that I was brought into, the gentleman told me, older gentleman said, now keep in mind, there is no Microsoft software running in this room. No Microsoft operating system. It was it was Linux. It was specifically Red... Uh, one of the ones I saw was Red Hat. And that's when I first ran into an individual by the name of Jarman, who... Um, who was also connected to the anime club at the time as somebody who worked, you know, information technology side of things on campus. So he qualified as the group's quote-unquote advisor, but um, he showed me some things on that and, and 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 explained a few things. And it was very interesting, very unique, but, you know, I wouldn't get begin getting the hang of it until years later, but um, it was it was fascinating. I was like, this is different. So yeah, I remember that time. It was Microsoft and the Department of Justice duking it out because of you know concerns over them becoming a monopoly that, and them using their monopoly power to prevent competition. So it. it a lot of history there. So, um, like, did you see the um, decline of zip disks coming, or did it just kind of happen? You're like, oh my goodness. Well, I'm, I'm not sure exactly when it actually happened. Uh, from what I've read and from what I, from what I understand it, it seems like it's one of those situations, kind of like fireware one of the more recent technologies that has come out. It, it it came up and it looked like it served something promising. It was, looked like it was going to be something for the future of technology and then poof, it, nobody uses it anymore. It, it lasted for a brief amount of time. And, um, I know I know a lot of Apple products like you, you get yourself an older Mac Mini or a uh, Mac Pro you still probably have a FireWire port and uh, up until the newest Mac Pro that just came out, they all came with FireWire ports. But I think that's probably one of the very few devices or companies that have really supported FireWire. Oh wow! I you know I also you know remember like when thumb drives were starting to come out with flash-based storage, and I was like, and those things were expensive. Even for a smaller capacity, now they're cheap to get. Um, it just kind of reminds me of the, you know, Betamax versus VHS, and then you know, HD DVD versus Blu-ray. Except in, in this case, for Blu-ray, Sony had tried and pre with previous attempts and failed, and they kept at it and finally succeeded <laughs> with the formatting wars on that one. Um, uh, Stephen Kelly actually brought up 
something that, you know, he used to sell with this old job casings called quote-unquote easy discs. Um, and, and according to this Wikipedia entry, test marketing of easy discs began on August 2003, but was canceled early when consumers rejected the concept, partly due to environmental issues. Due to fears of cannibalizing DVD sales, movies were made available on EZD between two months and seven years after being released on DVD and were priced at, you know, $6.99, both factors that limited consumer demand. Um, you know, it was designed for short-term rental and everything else, but, um, Oh, my goodness. So, but, uh, they were self-destructing, and this barely turns black, but, um, let's see. It sounds about like the article that we had shared in the past, uh, there's a YouTube link to a video of a, of a guy who had bought, if I'm not mistaken, it was a Galaxy S4, and uh, uh, was having problems with his charger, and he plugged it in, and basically it almost caught his phone on fire. <laughs> oh my, and, and that, that just didn't end well. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it sounded like a great concept, but things happened, it just went... It just went completely, you know, rated and and one can understand why. It's just it, it, it's just kind of stupid. What's the point for a lot of people? So <laughs> that didn't work. So, but um, you know, you know, they have staples. You know, basically cleared their stock out for like 99 cents each and never stocked ever again. And it's just like, oh my goodness. So, sometimes, you know, it doesn't always work very well. But, uh, I, like, it reminds me kind of like the, you know, Sega Dreamcast sounds like a great idea. It looks like it could succeed, and then it just too little, too late. <laughs> and Popular Mechanics even has a listing of devices that were ahead of their time. The Newton, oh, from Apple. Polaroid Polavision. <laughs> Dynabook. What the heck? This this thing looks like looks like an etch a sketch with a keyboard. <laughs> Sony Glastron. I'm looking to see if they have the Nintendo Virtual Boy. Oh, MSN TV. Oh my god. Number one on the top, the Palm Pilot. Oh wow. Predecessor to the smartphone. Sharp Actius RD3D Notebook. 
and oh my goodness. But Dragon, naturally speaking, I remember when Dragon Software came out. It was a big thing. Well, it was a little bit. It's still popular now, but uh, due to the fact that uh, Apple has come out with Siri and uh, Google's been pioneering uh, voice recognition software for a long time and using for their uh, popular search engine and uh, also with Android now with a text-to-speech engine so if you don't want to type out your text message and you're trying to get a hold of somebody, you can just sit there and talk and it just translates it into text for you. The HP Media Smart Home Server, which they're making an interesting argument, but like Logitech Review, oh, hmm. so yeah, um, all kinds of interesting stuff that just. Well, some of it was just designed poorly. That they should, I they they didn't. They should have listed the Virtual Boy, to be honest, and they should have listed the Osborne computer, because that that thing was, that thing looked like it could have taken off, but the screen was so tiny on the thing that <laughs> that people's eyes were just like, oh, they're on, you know, you know, fire and everything else. And, but yeah, the, on the oldcomputers.net, they've got a picture that, that that screen is just tiny, like, and just, no, no, nobody was going to use that at all. So, we, you know, old technology and everything else is pretty cool to look at um, so and you never know where you can find it I I've I found old video games at you know antique stores and things like that so you never know when these things pop up any progress made on Red Hat by the way um, well I've had some interesting issues uh, at first when I got the CD and uh, I decided to pop it in I decided to try and booted on a piece of old hardware I have sitting at the house I used to bring it and use it during this podcast and I used it for schoolwork and so on, so on and so forth. It was an older gateway laptop that was built for Windows Vista. And I tried booting it on that hardware and I'm pretty sure the hardware is just a little bit too new. Because I kept getting a kernel panic. I couldn't get past the boot sequence. It wouldn't load the kernel properly. So... I decided to go and try it in a virtual machine. I loaded the CD into the drive, into my drive on my desktop at home, and uh, created a virtual machine with VMware. And I got it running, and I got close to uh, uh, the formatting processor for formatting your disks using DiskDrid, which was the program that they uh, shipped with and they recommended you use. It was a graphical tool rather than using FDisk which is a command line tool in most Linux distributions um, and I ran into a problem 
for some reason it would not format correctly. It would it would give me an error, and I had to backtrack and try it again, and I just couldn't get past that step. So when I tried to eject the CD, uh, Windows would not let me eject the CD from my drive. And I I thought that my drive had failed. I checked and I did some research on forums online and uh, a couple of Google searches, and the only thing I could find was that the the drive had failed. So I was like, okay, I'm gonna have to shell out 20 bucks. It's not that big of a deal, but I'll replace the CD drive and I'll have a CD DVD writer to use for multi-purpose applications and so on and so forth. So I installed the new drive, tried it again. I got farther this time, but I decided instead of using the actual physical disk, I would make a disk image with uh, some software that I had and made the disk image. And when I went to eject the CD again, I had the same issue. <laughs> and I'm not sure what's going on exactly. I have talked to a couple of people and done some more research not made much progress on what the uh, cause of the problem is, but uh, it looks like I may end up having to reinstall Windows and go from there. However, after I made the disk images successfully, uh, I got much farther on the boot process, but I got to a point in the installation where it formatted the disks properly, the virtual disks, and it got to the package installer and it will not install the packages properly according to the fact that it says it's for the wrong architecture. Which, I'm not sure what that problem is. I might have to just backtrack, try it, try it over again, and keep going. However, I have made some progress. So, so assuming you get the thing running, what desktop environment are you going to be running? Uh, I don't know. I'm probably going to end up running GNOME just because I'm familiar with it. Uh, I think it ships with the common desktop environment, which is uh, long gone by now. I don't think anybody uses it anymore. It's it's even kept up. There's also something called uh, FWM95. I've heard of that. Which is FWM altered to make it look like Windows 95, which is... Which is just like very, very interesting. You know, little start menu hats. In this case, Red Hat's logo and everything else. So it's just, huh? But yeah, I just, I, I, I remember first seeing Red Hat. Red Hat was probably the first one I encountered. Walmart used to sell Red Hat. Um, Linux back in the day. Think of the retail outlets did too. So that very, very, very interesting um, running across all this stuff. So if you were to run an old operating system, uh, which one would be the next one? Um, I don't know. I might pick a Debian based distribution. But, uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm more familiar with Debian-based distributions than I am anything else, but I might give something else a try, like uh, uh, SUS Linux or uh, something similar along those lines, something made for uh, 
enterprise systems or workstation environments. Oh, I I may I may just start running emulators and virtual machines, old copies of Windows and everything else, just to see what it looks like. Because now it's you know it's like XP is getting ready to no longer be supported this April. Yep. Along with uh, Windows Live and uh, um, uh, uh, along uh, one other thing that Windows was kicking out, I think it was Server two thousand three. Oh, so a lot of services that are discontinuing. For those of you that don't know, and uh, uh, I'm one that uses Windows eight because of the tablet that I. Had acquired a while back. Um, Microsoft is ditching SkyDrive and replacing it with OneDrive. So, changing the name, in other words, more or less. <laughs> I'm not sure what the main change was for. I know there was some issue with it, and uh, it's no longer a requirement for you to have, I believe. I don't want to on that. <laughs> um, Memory serves. It was due to some trademark issue with some um, some company across the pond, so to speak. <laughs> it just you're right. And similar to the reason why Microsoft quit using the phrase Metro UE, they kind of got into legal troubles with that. So in this case, trademark and copyright law kind of. <laughs> intervene successfully, and it's just like, oh, well, that was interesting. So, that just about wraps everything else up for this episode. It's going to be kind of brief today, because we've both got stuff we got to get accomplished later in the evening, so um, entertain yourself, educate yourself, empower yourself. Um, we're thinking about, our, I'm thinking about getting, that, getting the site's design updated, if you want to leave feedback on what you'd like to see on there. Uh, feel free, free to drop us a line on Facebook, Google+, um, Twitter, um, and everywhere else you can find on the website, thenextreport.com, or uh, drop us a message, um, 660-474-0345. You can very well wind up on the next show. Uh, just try not to record a message for too long, because Google Voice apparently is kind of limiting the amount of time you can talk now, so, and soon it'll be merged into Hangouts, we'll see how that works. Anyway, uh, until next week, we will, well, yeah, later. See ya.